Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. We are indeed doing it live on a Monday. Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter. Uh, we will have Teddy Greenstein of the uh, Big Ten Network coming up shortly, and we're going to delve in big time on the, NCAA, on the NCAA's position on legalized sports betting, which came down today, which is a game changer, frankly, from a television from a sports consumption standpoint. It's as big a game changer, Johnny, as, as I can remember. I can't think of one bigger, maybe this, maybe streaming highlights or something like that. But I mean, in terms of the way that we consume our sports, it's as big a change as we've had. It's maybe since the color television. I mean, I think you got to go back that far. I'm curious your view. Obviously, you're in school today, but as the word trickled out that that the (laughs) Supreme Court had made this change, well, what was your view on it? So what's interesting is like we had a PD day, which means we were just a professional development day. So the kids weren't in and we were just kind of sitting around in meetings and this pops up on my phone and I'm just sitting around like, uh, what I like that changes. We, okay. So we did a thing on the site, right. Um, where we were fading all of Clay Travis's picks, uh, right. Through, yeah. I remember that. Football. And we made like 69, 70 bucks, uh, fading his picks and saying that he was terrible and wrong and an idiot. And that was fun and it was a cute little thing. And people have been kind of like, you know, talking about it because I think that just popped up as a result of this uh, announcement. Um, And it made me really think like this impacts so much. Like people will bet on anything, like Mm -hmm. anything. And to the people who are thinking like, well, my state, you know, maybe not do this or this isn't something that's going to happen. And, you know, I don't know, Indiana or Kentucky, it's going to happen pretty much everywhere it wants to happen. Like that, this is one of those things where if people can see that they can make money off of it, they're going to, and it's, they will make money off it and they'll make a crap ton of of money off it. They will make ridiculous amounts of money off of it. And I think this is a huge, huge, huge deal. Um, And it's, I am really going to be interested to see how this affects how they report on college football coming up and also i want to add one more thing the thing i was most looking forward to when i found out uh, about this when this broke was uh for brent musburger to immediately get on television <laughs> and give his opinion which did happen that was like the first thing that oh, i saw on great. twitter was him on like cnbc or some other channel it was hilarious i love that. well he's works for he does he works a he does a serious xm that's show, right gambling show that's so, I mean, right he's all in. Yeah. um i i think the it's a slippery slope um I think the people who bet are going to continue to bet. It'll just be easier for them. But honestly, it's not hard to bet now if you want to anyway. So, I mean, yeah. I, I don't think that'll really change. What will be the biggest change is, is that in that the money will now go to, frankly, the NCAA and the member mm-hmm. schools. That, that's what they'll do. If there's money to be made, the NCAA will make the money. Um, and so I, I think that's what will happen. And it, I think it's a slippery slope. I mean, whatever slope we're on, if you, you know this, you know, like this downhill or not the downhill, the ski jumping, like that's the slope <laughs> toward amateurism being done with, right? Like yeah. it's that steep, it's that slippery. We're so it's all. I mean, we're we've crossed the Rubicon. I really do feel that. Well, but it almost it, makes me feel. It makes me feel like all these movies and stuff where you see like all the the, the crooked bookies and you know everybody yeah. betting with their little black books and people's fingers. It almost feels like that kind of stuff had to exist in our imagination to help justify this idea of amateurism. Like we can't, we can't let a dude bet five bucks on a game because that would discount, you know, the student athlete model. So we have to make this like this really evil kind of underground thing. I went on the Uh, NCAA website today about sports wagering 
Yeah. I mean, and they have this huge statement how it's not tolerated and that this the integrity right. and the sanctity. Right. All while Mike Mark Emmert makes one point seven million a year. Like, <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? Like the I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. And so yeah, I, I, I don't think it's gonna be this thing where you're gonna see betting windows at college football stadiums in the next couple of years. <laughs> yeah. But I do think that that this is where we're headed and the two state, the re, this will affect the big 10 almost immediately because mm-hmm. New Jersey and Delaware, obviously Vegas already has it. New Jersey and Delaware are, are ready to go. Like there's talk that New Jersey is going to have sports books ready to go because they've been preparing for this for the NBA finals. Yeah. Oh, that's so, <laughs> so what is the, so let me ask you this good friend. What is uh-huh. the big 10 team of, of record in the fine garden state? That would be your Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Right. Does the, Rutgers the, have betting parlors in the their state? Squeaky stadium? clean, impeccable reputation. Yeah. Rutgers Charlie Knights. Right. So why not why not put gambling in their stadium? Why not? Right. I mean, hell. I mean, I mean the Big Ten's gonna have to deal with this immediately. They're they're the first, they will be the first power five conference that has to deal with this because it will be legal. I mean, it's already legal, but it'll be up and running in New Jersey in two weeks. Yeah. That's what they're saying. Oh, so, yeah. I one hundred percent believe that. You got to deal with that at Rutgers in a couple of weeks. I mean, that's yeah. that's where we're at, so to speak. So we'll have much more with uh, Teddy from Chicago. He's great, and so we'll have him a little bit later on in the show. Um, yeah. Last week we talked about – I want to talk a little bit about the Buckeye quarterbacks, uh, neither of which are still here. Uh, JT Barrett down in New Orleans with the Saints, and also Joey Burrow. I, it's interesting. I, I have, have Has anyone on the site been able to lock down if he's restricted or not? Because I had heard I, – I had did the show today with James Laurinaitis, and we had – there were two things that I had seen, but I can't get anybody to corroborate what it is. And I don't think anybody wants to talk about it, but I initially had heard over the weekend that from a reliable source that, that Joe Burrow's limitations were Michigan or not Michigan were Cincinnati. He could only basically go to Cincinnati and LSU. And that was kind of it. Like he couldn't go to Florida. He couldn't go to Nebraska, which I thought was nonsense. I mean, he graduated. He should be able to go wherever the hell he wants. But then the, then Laurinaitis was saying today that basically he could go anywhere he wants except for the Big Ten East. And I, I can't get a straight line on it, which I think is weird that, I mean, probably because Ohio State's ashamed of the straight line would be my guess. So I, I tend to think to it's say, more restrictive. I was about to say, I, to me, it feels like they are just going to wait to see how much attention he gets from a certain school and then try to basically sign off on it and say, okay, that's fine, uh, which is a really crappy situation for for him to be in, for Burrow to be in, because, I mean, you want to be graduated. Yeah, he shouldn't have any restrictions. The guy should be able to go wherever he wants. Like he's, uh, not, yeah. he's not like in the middle of a of a commitment. Right. He graduated college. How can right. you restrict him? Yeah, I don't I don't think yeah, I think it's ludicrous. He should be able to head wherever he wants. Um I think he'll probably I think he's gonna go someplace he he's familiar with, some you know, a place where he knows, you know, people there and, and he's comfortable. Um, cause that'll make it easier. I think to make that kind of transition, but you know, like I said, it, he should be able to go wherever he feel like it feels. He was like at that. LSU this weekend. Right. I mean, that's everything I'm, I saw that he was at LSU for three days yeah. this weekend. So, and I know, you know, and he's been looking at like Cincinnati and some of these other places and, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. I, I wish him the best wherever he ends up. Oh, because yeah. I think he's, he's a talented guy and I think he's going to be able to help a team right away. Um, and you know, if he ends up at a place like Cincinnati, I mean, it's not like, I mean, Cincinnati's still playing Ohio state in two years, like all things work That's out. True. He's going to be showing up and, you know, against, against the Scarlet and gray, which I would be fine with. I think that would be a really interesting storyline. At least it would make that game. It add the interest to that game. Yeah. And Luke returning. That'd be fun. Yeah. That would be, you can 
I think that'd be awesome. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's any any player that's got their degree from your university and they want to transfer and they've got eligibility left. It's it's ludicrous to try to restrict those guys and tell them they can't go just, where they want to go. It's just a bad look. It's just it's a really bad. bad look. It's petty. It is, so. and for no reason. I mean, the kid didn't do anything. No. Um, this is crazy. This is a quote from uh, an NFL coach who won a Super Bowl. There is leadership presence about him. He's an athlete. A lot of the things that you look for in that position. He was certainly worthy of being drafted. And he's done a good job here. That was Sean Payton, the Saints head coach, talking about JT Barrett, who was in uh, New Orleans camp. Uh, their rookie mini camp was held over the weekend. And rave reviews. Not just that, but beyond that, that, that JT was ready to go and that he was impressive and that they liked what they saw in him. And it backs up this theory of mine that JT Barrett's going to play six, seven years in the NFL, not necessarily as a star or even a starter, but as a backup. And that he's a great team guy who could come in in a pinch and, and not embarrass you. And I think of like Chase Daniel and a lot of these other guys who have bounced around the league as backups. And to me, it kind of it's kind of works for JT Barrett. He didn't get drafted because he's never going to be a franchise quarterback because of the physical arm limitations that are there. But right. he's a great addition to a team, as evidence from what he did here as a three-time captain. This doesn't surprise me in any way. In no way does it surprise me. Well, I, you know, like we we had that conversation with with Matt Wilhelm, and he was he was you know not nearly as as bullish as I think maybe some people would be. But you know, to your number theory, I mean, what they had him at like I think number five out with the Saints. Mm-hmm. They gave him a nice yeah. number there. Yeah, right. Uh, Pay attention to those things. That's what they gave him a nice number. I, I think Peyton wants a dude uh, who will give that kind of leadership and consistency. I think it's entirely possible that dude makes that roster and, you know, performs a, a functional role with the Saints. I don't, again, he's not coming in. He's not spelling, you know, if, if they have a problem with Drew Brees, at, you know, in game six or something like that, I don't think JT Barrett's the guy coming on that field. Uh, unless there's like an emergency situation. I no. think they're gonna be looking for a more experienced dude, but I, I think he can find his role as an NFL backup at some point. I think they're gonna he's gonna have to kick around, you know, the league or with the Saints for a couple of years before he fits into that role. Um, but as far as like a guy on the roster that is worth paying money just because of his intangibles and some of the other things that he brings, I think they're cool with that. And honestly, the film that I saw, I mean, look, I saw I saw 40 seconds of him throwing the ball in a, a limited practice. <laughs> right. I will I will completely hyperbolize that and say that he can make some of those throws. He's not going to throw 40 or 50 yards down the field. But if you've got NFL caliber wide receivers and a line, all this kind of I think he can he can be serviceable, which is, again, damning with faint praise a little bit. But I, I think he is capable with the right coaching, the right situation to, to make a roster and be on there for at least, you know, two or three years. So I'm, I'm rooting for him. I think it'll be really interesting, like to see how uh, he fits with a lot, a guy like Michael Thomas, for example, you know, like guys that he's familiar with. I, that's the kind of environment. I always thought the saints was just a great environment for him, just in part because of Drew Brees and Sean Payton, but also because of the former Buckeyes that he can, you know, talk with and, and learn from a little bit. So yeah, I think that's that's as good a fit as any, and I think he's going to be successful there. A lot of familiarity. Uh, yeah. Cerebral co- head coach, a lot of familiarity with his teammates. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a chance, and I, I, I do think he'll make that team. I just think he's he's got a lot that what you want. He's perfect scout team guy. 
Never going to embarrass you. Really smart. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. All right, yep. coming up next, we will be joined by the Chicago Tribune's Teddy Greenstein. He will talk more about the – we'll ask him about – certainly about the gambling issue that uh, was was passed through today. Also kind of do a quick little early summer tour of the Big Ten. So we will do that coming up next. Uh, but still to come, ask us anything as well. But before we do that, we do encourage you to visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more. Drygoods.11warriors.com. Welcome back into the Dubcast. Uh, we are joined by one of the. I mean, frankly, Teddy was here a lot. I mean, you've handed out a lot of those uh, those those football MVP awards over here in Columbus over the last decade or so. I've seen you at halftime about a, about a dozen of these games. It feels like between JT Barrett and Braxton Miller, uh, Teddy Greenstein, the uh, Chicago Tribune, joins us. Look, we we've got legal betting in sports now, and yeah. I, I think one misconception about today is that all of a sudden the floodgates are open and we're going to have betting. Uh, windows at the horseshoe and i don't think that's necessarily the case um but we are going to have legalized sports betting sounds like delaware and new jersey are going to be on this thing really quickly this potentially has incredible implications for for college sports as they are you know they're on the on the very thinnest of ice when it comes to you know pay for play and 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 just barely trying to hang on to whatever amateurism they have left what's your read on on the decision today and how I know it's a broad question, but how will it, how quickly will it affect maybe uh, college athletics at the big time level? Yeah, it's funny, you know, so we're at big 10 meetings today in Rosemont and there's some basketball coaches and there's some athletic directors. We only were able to talk to a couple. It was kind of a mad scramble at the end. And Matt Painter was the first guy we get and he comes down and says, Oh, it won't affect me in Indiana. And I just said, how do you know? And he goes, Oh, that's what we were talking about in the meeting. So, I, I said, wow, okay, I guess you got kind of a, a conservative governor or, you know, Pence was there. I, I don't know. He already apparently has some intel that it's not going to be in, in Indiana. And then we talked to Jim Phillips. And, you know, it's interesting with these guys. They're, they're really old school. And when they hear about sports betting, they just automatically think evil, bad. Yeah. And it's like, guys, first of all, tons of people do it. And second of all, it's just going to be more regulated. You don't have to worry about you have to worry about point shaving less than you did before, because if somebody bets $14,000 on Akron one night, everybody's going to be like, wait a second, you know, right. there's something going on here. So they're just instinctively so opposed to it. Um, Cause that's how, I guess how they were brought up, but I really don't think they need to be scared. I think they could probably look at it and say, there'll be more interest now in, you know, college basketball in November, December, and January. Yeah. It's just, it's weird to me because it seems like, the pushback against, you know, I don't think it's universal. I mean, there are definitely, you know, most people who probably could not really either care or they're excited about it. But it's interesting to me, the idea that you kind of have this old school mentality, like that has to be so separate from the college game. And I kind of wonder, I mean, obviously, I don't think they've really come out and said too much about it. But what do you what's your read on how guys like Jim Delaney and some of the other people in charge? How are they feeling about uh, this decision by the Supreme Court? How do you think they're, you know, they're reacting to that? My sense is that they're just saying, okay, you know, we follow the courts. Uh, they probably don't like it, but it's not like right. they can appeal. So I think it's more so, all right, you know, those that coach's mentality of it is what it is and, you know, it's how you respond to it and we'll prepare our guys. But, you know, again, it's like uh, these college athletes, their friends are already betting. Their friends are probably already hitting them up for information. They'll just yeah. be able to bet legally now instead of on, you know, with their bookie or their online site. Well, you, if we know if we know any, you you saw the NCAA statement today, obviously, and uh, you know he, the the 
the the real money line is the last line and it says uh while we're still reviewing the decision to understand the overall implications to college sports we will adjust sports wagering and championship policies to align them with the direction from the court which i translate to please bet a lot on march madness and do it even more and do it legally <laughs> and uh and more money for us um is the way it seems to me i mean that's the way i read that you know Tim Miles, a Nebraska basketball coach, is talking about, all right, when is the Final Four going to be in Vegas? <laughs> that seems like that's going to be <laughs> – God bless you. <laughs> you know, what I was actually hoping will happen, um, football coaches hopefully will actually have to um, put out a real injury report. I mean, it's all over the map. I mean, some coaches, you know, will say, yeah, he's got a high ankle sprain on his left leg and he's going to be out for two weeks. And then, you know, Patrick Gerald and Lovey Smith, are always acting like, oh, my God, we can't let you know if the left guard is going to be playing. It's so have some consistency. I've tried to tell this to Pat Fitzgerald a few times. It's like when you give less information, that's when the bookies and the gamblers are putting heat on your players. So if you have a real injury report, you know, that's a way to actually keep them more safe. Actually, I want to talk about Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern a little bit because one of the things that I was thinking about uh, you know, as this broke was like, man, you know, there, we talk about all the money involved in college sports and how players are, or aren't benefiting from that. And I think about Northwestern, their attempts to unionize. I mean, th- to me, I mean, maybe I'm just completely off base, but to me, this feels like more ammunition for players to say, look, this is, this is clearly a business. This is, there's no bones about this. There's so much money being exchanged hands off of our efforts we should have some part of this. I know that's obviously not directly connected to the NCAA and it's, it's right. betters and whatnot, but to me that feels like a pretty strong argument in their side. And I think that's also why the coaches and athletic directors, I don't think you'll hear any of them, at least not in the conservative big 10 come out and say, yeah, I'm fine with this because <laughs> I think, right. I think to them it's like, Ooh, okay. You know, pro sports is pro sports. And there are a lot of people who follow, the NFL because of gambling and fantasy, and they want to believe that people follow college sports because they love their alma mater. And there right. is a ton of truth to that. I mean, I always tell people who don't understand college football, like all you need to know is that there's almost no fantasy. I mean, cause who, what Ohio state alum is going to pick a Michigan player? Like that would be disgusting. So there is some of that. Um, but it's a good point about the players. You know, this is another, example of sure uh, the sports being big 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 business yeah on on the field this has been an interesting last couple of weeks at the quarterback position of the you know the two most prominent schools from a football standpoint historically in the in the history of this conference Ohio State and Michigan Um, Shea Patterson getting the green light to play next year at Michigan which to me on the surface seems like a game changer and uh, frankly should elevate Michigan to you know, maybe Big Ten co-favorite. I mean, they probably should be 18 starters back, and now they've got this big-time quarterback uh, who we've seen at Ole Miss, and I've certainly liked what I've seen from him. Uh, meantime, Urban Meyer has a transfer of Joe Burrow. He's out, and it's very clearly Dwayne Haskins' team, which I think all of us kind of assumed would be the case, but it did yeah. play out that way. Uh, I'm curious your view of those two, those two, the two, the quarterback news from the two biggest schools in the in the league. You know, it's funny, Haskins, I was sure he was going to end up playing a bunch in the Michigan game, you know, and uh, I'm sorry, he did play in the Michigan game. I thought he was going to play a bunch in the Big Ten title game. I thought it was trending that way with JT being hurt and because he'd thrown the ball so well against Michigan. And now I thought he was also going to play a bunch in the bowl game. So I was kind of wrong on both those fronts, but 
oh my God, the way he, the, the poise he had against Michigan and the way he threw was incredibly impressive. So to have that combination in Columbus looks super strong. You know, with Shea Patterson, I'm more of a, a mode of prove it to me first. I mean, you know, everything I've read is he piled up enormous stats against the bad teams and didn't do well against the good teams. And it's like, that's what Michigan football has already been under Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, when you look at them last year, all right, great, you pounded Florida and you always beat Rutgers by 60, but, you know, are you beating Michigan State and Ohio State and then you're losing your bowl game to South Carolina? So, I don't know, man. Shea Patterson, I think, is a massive talent, but uh, let's see if a guy can just go in there and win. I've also heard his, you know, his dad is hovering around, so uh-huh. I, I'm not as sold on him as maybe some people are. Well, you, you mentioned a massive talent, and you know you'll wait to be a believer of it. I I I assumed when Jim Harbaugh got the Michigan job that he would do for Michigan what Urban Meyer has done for Ohio State. I mean, I just thought it'd be a steady stream of five star big quarterbacks and NFL running backs going up there, and and that they would he would be a real force to be reckoned with in the East of the Big Ten. He hasn't been to this point. He, he hasn't won the games against the two most, as you pointed out, the Michigan States and the Ohio State. Hasn't beat Ohio State, Michigan State just once. Um, if he's ever going to get him, doesn't next year have to be it? And for a guy who who had kind of the cachet that he had when he got the job and has paid what he has paid, is it? And and by the way, I don't. It's not like there's another guy out there that's better than him, right? right? I mean, he right. is their urban. Like they don't have, a, you know, a white wolf roaming the sidelines somewhere else who can come in and save it. So if he can't save it, maybe what's that tell you about the program? But there has to be some pressure, I would think, on him to find to deliver. And this would have to be the year to do it, would it not? Absolutely. I mean, that is the thing with Michigan. Rich Rod didn't work. Brady Hoke didn't work. So. If this doesn't work, then you look more at Michigan than, you know, than anything else. What, you know, what's going on structurally. But, yeah, I mean, but we've been saying that the last several years. I mean, two years ago, he had such a good team there. You know, he had, what, uh, 11 defensive starters back. And it seemed like most of those guys ended up in the NFL and fell short in that Ohio State game. You know, there was some. I still have so many Michigan fans who just come to me, oh, JT, you know, JT was short. JT was short. I said right. he wasn't short. I mean, get over it, man. And it never comes down to one play. But, no, <laughs> there's, there's pressure. It's not like Jim has to win to keep his job. But no doubt, man, the whole Michigan fandom believing that he's a god, I think, you know, it's probably closer to 50-50 now. And if he doesn't beat either of Michigan State and Ohio State this year, I mean, whoa. You know, obviously yeah. the guy is a very good coach. He's just he's made some missteps, and and quarterback has certainly been you know some of it. And then you know having Walton Spade throw out of the end zone, you know, so some specific things in games, and then not preparing his Australian punter just in case the snap got botched against Michigan State. There've been some big picture things and some small picture things that have held him back. What's funny to me is like the dynamic is, especially as Jim Harbaugh is going to be in the Big Ten, it's it's always going to be how he stacks up against Ohio State. I mean, just not just aside from Michigan, but you've got the whole Urban Meyer, Jim Harbaugh thing going on. I keep thinking, though, that the storyline that maybe we haven't been thinking about or talking as much, uh, at least on our site, that, that maybe we need to start focusing on a little bit more is, is what James Franklin has been doing at Penn State and how we kind of ignore them at our peril. Because, you know, Ohio State had that incredible comeback last year, but Penn State has a schedule that sets up really favorably for them. And, yes, they lose to Quan Barkley and some other dudes, but um, I I really got to think that 
aside from being enamored with Shea Patterson and all that kind of stuff, which I think he's a legit quarterback, I think Ohio State's got to look out for Penn State and some of these other teams. And maybe they're not getting quite the publicity, but I don't I don't know. Do you see them as maybe kind of a lurking shark out there for for the Buckeyes? Oh, yeah. Um, now, keep in mind that I, uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of in baseball and golf mode now, so I haven't been setting you know, <laughs> up so much on the spring stuff. But with Penn State, you start with Trace McSorley. I mean, you start with a quarterback who – you know, is the Baker Mayfield of the Big Ten in all the good ways, you know, I mean, and, and and hopefully, like, none of the baggage. I mean, he is undersized, but an amazing thrower, an amazing passer, um, just a, a complete, like, the ultimate college quarterback. I mean, he just wins and wins and wins and has a total attitude, total chip on his shoulder because the bigger schools ignored him, really just like Baker. So you start with that, you, you add the fact that he's, you know, that Penn State is, almost impossible to beat uh, when they're in state college. And yeah, um, they lost a ton of players, but um, oh my God. I mean, they've got great talent left. I mean, Miles, uh, the running back, the starting running back. Um, help me with yeah. that name if you've got Yeah, they're it. two Miles or three Sanders. deep at running back. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. They're, they're I mean, two or three Miles deep Sanders at running back. Really Tons on the outside. Their backup quarterback, Tommy Stevens, you know, a lot of people say that he could start at nine of the Big Ten schools. So, I mean, even if McSorley gets hurt, uh, they got Tommy Stevens, who then they also used as a wideout in the bowl game. So it's like, it is such a good program right now. Clearly, you know, the second best in the East, but you also got Michigan and Michigan State to deal with. Right. How do you, have you been to um, Have you been to Nebraska and seen them in person in the last couple of years? Um, maybe three years ago, something like that. I mean, I, I was That's there last that time I saw him too. insane Northwestern game when right. Nebraska won on a Hail Mary on the last play. Okay. It was Ron Kellogg firing it down. Yeah. I think that is the last time I was there. I just asked because I think Scott Frost is a great coach, clearly. And yeah. um, he he's, you know, we talk about Harbaugh being, you know, their urban. He's he's their urban, right? I mean, you can't, yeah. they, they got the guy. They got the guy everybody wanted. They got him. He's their guy. He's from there, all those things. Um, I've always had the the opinion of Nebraska, much like Tennessee, that it, it's a nice museum, but I don't know if you can win there anymore. I mean, the landscape of college football has changed so dramatically since their heyday and everybody's right. on TV. And it used to be, they could go to South Florida and get Tommy Frazier and go to California and get Lawrence Phillips. And they get those kids to come to Lincoln and say, you're going to be on TV. You're going to play in front of 90,000. Everybody's on TV. Now the exposures across the board, I'd argue it's easier to win at UCF maybe than Nebraska now. That that's my take on it. I'm curious your opinion of of the Nebraska program. I mean, there's I remember talking to Bo Pelini when I went there, but you know, former Buckeye, obviously. And he said, yeah. Look, guys, I gotta get on a plane every time I recruit. I can't drive there to go are, get a recruit. I gotta get on a plane no to recruit. Big disadvantages. Um, I think it's being helped now with the new NCAA rule that you can get juniors onto your campus um the spring of the junior year, which you know helps Big Ten schools like that. Uh, I mean, my general thought is that you can win almost anywhere if you have a good enough coach. Now, look, Indiana football, Illinois football, I mean, there are places, Purdue football so tough, but even Jeff Brom, I mean, he yeah. was in there and shaved like, what, 15 points a game off their, you know, off their points allowed. I mean, coaching in college football is so much. And, yeah, Nebraska has massive challenges in terms of, you know, recruiting circle i mean they might be able to get one or two guys in driving distance but they still have the tradition the weight room the fans they're in the big 10 west i mean there are a lot of advantages at that place and i think scott frost is going to be 
spectacular there. Last one for you. When Urban Meyer was hired, I put the over-under on seven years that he would be here. He's going into his seventh. There doesn't seem to be an end in sight. It seems like he's got a good amount of clearly momentum in the program, but also kind of momentum in his lifestyle, the way he's going about his business. Your view of Urban and his his spot at Ohio State and how long can he keep this thing going? Yeah, I never even think of him leaving. I I can't imagine where he'd go. I mean, how much more money does he need to make? I mean, an NFL team's going to offer him, what, $15 million? I, I I don't know what number it would be. I mean, he's making so much, so that's a non-issue. He is in the best job in the Big Ten with an unbelievable fan base, tradition, you know, home state guy. Where would he go? So as long, and I really do think he has more balance in his life now than he had before. So as long as he's healthy and, you know, relatively happy, I don't know if coaches are ever that happy. Um, (laughs) I I don't think he's going to leave. You know, the Harbaugh thing, you always think about the NFL because he's been there. He came so close to winning it all. And I think he probably still feels like I have to prove, you know, that it's not enough to, to win a Big Ten or win a national championship. Not that he's come really close to doing either one of those. But for him, having been in the NFL, I think he feels like I have to win a Super Bowl to be at the top of my profession. I, I've never gotten any sense that Urban feels that way about about the NFL. So uh, it's a perfect marriage of coach and school, and I see no end in sight. That's music to our listeners' ears. Thanks, yeah. Teddy. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Enjoy it, guys. Have a great one. All right. You too, man. Take care. A reminder, don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, time for Ask Us Anything, my friend. What do you have for us? So we got a couple questions here. Again, if you guys want to ask us anything, you can send us a question to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast. We'll start on Twitter here. This is from James. He actually has a question for you, Bo. He wants to know, uh, and maybe this can extend to Ohio State as well because you might have a little experience with this, but uh, what are the biggest difference in both fan and athletic department cultures between, like, let's say, Florida and Florida State and then maybe throw in Ohio State there? Well, the difference between – okay, so Florida State – so, okay, Florida State is to the state of Florida (laughs) what Michigan State is to Michigan. Nice. And Florida is to the state of Florida what Michigan is to Michigan. Gotcha, okay. So that's how those are. So the the old money privilege is Florida, and Florida State is the – renegade up you know it's exactly the way you perceive it to be although i don't right. know if people up here understand the way the university of florida is perceived down there can but i be honest like i thought it was here. the opposite of that i really thought Did it was you? the opposite of that yeah yeah florida is the tougher school to get into i mean like the joke at florida state was always like all the hot girls from the south got into florida state because they couldn't get to florida yeah i mean that was the deal and so that's that was kind of the, the deal with the perception of the two schools huh. florida has has significantly more money in florida state from a booster standpoint it's closer proximity to a lot of the population hubs it's closer to orlando jacksonville and tampa whereas florida state's kind of on an island in the panhandle so so that's kind of the that kind of it sets up the difference in the two programs beyond that the socioeconomic difference they're the same i mean passion all that is the same they're they're great great venues great fun places to go watch college sports now so if so if florida if Florida is like, um, like, give me a great Central Ohio company. Like, what's a what's Central a great Ohio. like Safe Auto? Okay, okay, like so Safe yeah. Auto. 
So the University of Florida is safe auto. Ohio State, juxtaposed to the University of Florida, is Amazon. Okay. <laughs> so Ohio State, like it blows people's mind. Like when people, like especially people at Florida, because they don't understand how much money Ohio State has or how corporate right. Ohio State has. Now, Ohio State has, you know, the best fans in the whole state and all that stuff. But when it comes down to the actual attendance of a football game and the people who are at games and even the people who really support the university, it's big business, right? Yeah. I mean, you know what we pay for a ticket. You know how hard it is to get, I mean, how much those luxury boxes go and all that stuff. And so when I tell them, like my season, like my buddies from the South, and they're like, I mean, how much more money does Ohio State have than Florida? And I say, well, how many billionaire boosters do you have? <laughs> you know, like, right. I, I, you remember hearing these crazy stats about sitting courtside at a Buckeye basketball game, even like the minimum donation was like a hundred grand to even get mm -hmm. into those seats. I'm just making that up, but I feel like that's what it was, something in that vicinity. Like, that's Ohio State. Ohio State is big business. Yeah, Les Wexner is is yeah. When you've got a guy calling those types of shots at you know the university, well, the shot I mean, family. I mean, yeah, the Wolf family. Right. I mean, there's just power, money, power brokers in a really big city everywhere. And you know those schools in the south are in small towns, and they just don't have that type of juice. Yeah, that's interesting. It's it's interesting to me because of. First of all, I always thought Florida State was the old money, and, and I have no idea why I thought that. There's no reason why I thought that. And I it also was a women's of, college until like nineteen in the 1950s. Really, I didn't yeah. know that either. That's that's yeah. that's fascinating. I didn't know that at yeah. all. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I also wonder though, with Florida and Florida State, how that plays into schools like UCF and USF, which have huge student enrollments. I mean, what like fifty five thousand for UCF or something like that. Yeah, so like nobody in Florida wants to go to UCF or USF. Yeah. They go there because they can't get into Florida or Florida State or Miami or whatever. So yeah. those huge enrollment numbers, a lot of it, I don't know this for fact, but th that was the perception I had. Like nobody really wants to go to US UCF, right? Like if you don't get into UF, yeah. then you go to UCF. Yeah, and so, yeah, UCF takes everybody and they they have a ton of out of state. You know, it's a beautiful campus. Um, there's a ton of money there too. And FAU's that way. I mean, FAU's in Boca and FIU's in Fort Lauderdale. So there's, <laughs> right. you know, and they're all big, like FAU, FIU, I think are around 30,000. So right. they're big schools, all of them. Cause kids want to go to school in the South. I mean, even Florida Gulf coast has gotten really big. It's like in Fort Myers, even it's gotten really big in the last decade. So, um, yeah, I mean, cause everyone wants to, you know, the climate. So that, that's what it is. But yeah, in terms of like, I mean, Florida's just on another level down there with, in terms of like the old money, they you know, bull gator boosters and all this stuff. I mean, that's that's they isn't run it, the state. Isn't it just fascinating how football colors our opinions of these schools, though, so much? Like, no if, doubt. If UCF didn't have a football program, I would definitely have thought of like in, in the same vein of like a Bowling Green or a Wright State or something like that. But because I've yeah. seen them on television play football, it has such a different like I have such a different perception of the program. If only because that's the only thing I know about that school, which is ludicrous. It's insane. But, you know, it, it helps them out so much to have to that, that. To that end, the what Bobby Bowden, who is, I think, grossly underappreciated as a football coach. Yeah. Um, he finished in the top four in the country for 13 years in a row. Like no one's even come close to that. And he did it for 13 years in a row. Um, but what Bobby Bowden did for Florida State football pales in comparison to what he did for Florida state university. Mm -hmm. Like he made that a cool place to go to school because yeah. of the football program. There was no yeah, other it, point of reference of Florida state or Tallahassee. It, like it, when you look about like we've had the horseshoe since chick Harley, right? 
1922. Yeah, we've had a big-ass stadium for a long time. <laughs> Florida State played in an erector set in, like, 1979. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and then he built it. He built Now it's a castle. Yeah, well, it's it's. I mean, it's it's one of my favorite stadiums, actually. Yeah, Just the thought and the way it's. I mean, it's awesome. It is. Yeah, um, it's very cool. It's fascinating. So, yeah, I, to me, I don't know. From somebody who doesn't have a lot of knowledge about that, I, I just remember going to a. Uh, God, the only one of the few away games or non-Ohio State home games I've been to for college football is I went to a Bowling Green game once in college. Uh, Ohio mm-hmm. State obviously wasn't playing. It was at Bowling no, Green. I bet they were. Yeah, and it was just, it was like it was just like a high school game. It was ridiculous. Yeah. But you know, I think about that because I think about how some of these other schools are perceived and and just how regional is and how much football plays into it. And to me, if you're asking me that question, like I, it would all be about football. My entire perception about those two schools yeah. is entirely about how they play football and how successful they've been. And that that's such a crazy thing to me. But that's I'm sure that's true from almost everybody who's listening to this. So, Johnny, it's the same in the on the pro level. Look at the amount of crap that like Detroit and Cleveland take. Yeah. Like, you know, like same their cities, deal. like they're you know, like they're Beirut or whatever. Meantime, right. Pittsburgh skates. Pittsburgh skates. Yeah. And it's not that different. I mean, it's I mean, I live in Cleveland. It's not that much different. I've been to both a lot. They both have about yep. the same type of things. The only difference is, is Pittsburgh wins a ton of championships. And so you yep. never hear anybody lump Pittsburgh into the conversation with the other Rust Belt cities that are struggling. That's um, a great point. And, and, and I think that they're athletic because of their pro sport, because of the prowess of their sport, pro sports teams. You think, well, oh, God, Pittsburgh's got to be great. They win champions every 10 minutes over there. Man. That's and that's we can do an entire podcast on that because that's the, wild. Go by like major city by major city and see like how that's been perceived. Yeah, if San Diego, like I mean, San, sometimes people, I mean, San Diego is beautiful, and most of the time when you ask somebody about San Diego and they'll say about the weather and whatnot, which is fair because it's crazy. But yeah. to me, it's almost perceived as like a more boring, like oh, it's it's the boring major city. But if San Diego Padres or, or the Chargers have won a bunch of championships, people are looking at like Boston, like that's how no people would talk. Look at San Francisco, same way. I mean, you'd yeah. rather live in San Diego than San Francisco, but San Francisco, because they've had a lot of success in their sports scenes, you have a different perception of it. Right. It's true. It's crazy. Uh, okay, so our next question here, this one's from Alvin, our good friend Alvin. He uh, Just simple question, what is the best summer vacation spot? Montana, man. <laughs> the home. Yeah, the, the God's country. I mean, it's perfect in the summer. I mean, you got everything you want. You want a water ski, you got that. You got, uh, it's cooler, you don't have all the humidity. You know, there's probably not uh, super expensive either. I imagine get out there depending on where you go. Yeah. I mean, it's, but yeah, I mean, great mountain, huge mountains. You want to go to two national parks, Yellowstone glacier, all sorts of great cities with great restaurants and food and outdoor activities, good golf, go to a rodeo. Uh, It's pretty good. It's I, I I go every summer and it's obviously my home, so I like it, but um, I I honestly could run the Montana tourism bureau. I was about to say, you need to do the Tim Allen, you know, where Tim Allen does the voiceover (laughs) for like Michigan. You need to do the pure Montana commercials. I should do the pure Montana commercial. Yeah. That'd be good. I I mean, shit. I mean, I'd go out there for no humidity. (laughs) I mean, it's good. No humidity, probably fewer ticks than in the Northeast, so that's good. Yeah. Get rid of the deer ticks. I want that Lyme disease. Huge mountains. Uh, yeah. Lots of lakes, rivers. I got to do Whatever that. You need. I got to do that sometime. Yeah. Well, you'd like it, obviously. Yeah. Well, I, so I was actually about to say Michigan myself. The past couple summers, I'm trying to think. Last summer, I took 
my wife uh, up to Michigan for her 30th birthday. And I know, I know, I'm like, ah, Michigan sucks. Blah, blah. Michigan's beautiful, man. Like, we went it up is. to uh, sleeping once you get dunes on you gotta get north. Lake Michigan. Yeah, you got to get north. But yeah, oh my god, we went up to Sleeping Bear. Dude, that is one of the coolest places I've ever been to in my entire life. Uh, we went horseback riding, you know, through some of the woods. The, the lake is just crystal clear, it's blue. Like, it's it's a beautiful place. Uh, to yes, spend. I think we were in like Frankfurt, or I don't forget what the city's name was, but it was it was amazing. Um, I think that may be like our go to summer spot, like northern Michigan, just to, to chill when we don't want to have a like a you know super expensive vacation or something. I will say though, and this is not going to be a habit for us, uh, but we're going to be going on our honeymoon in about yeah. a month here, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to hit up uh, Switzerland for a few days and then Italy. So I'll report back and yeah. let you guys know um, that's whether that's good. a good vacation spot. I think Florence <laughs> will be. I'm I'm predicting good. I think, it will be. I think so, you're going to do just fine. Yeah, right by the Matterhorn. So it should be you're all right. Clearly making more money on this podcast than I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you're like scrooge mcduck you're getting in gold getting coins. the, the uh, montana tourism board and i'm getting paid through uh i guess the simpsons or something or whatever references i'm making there you go <laughs> so you know big bucks yeah uh but yeah that's it and that's Eska said anything yeah. uh please send in the keep sending those questions in. and by the way one time we actually uh, this is several years ago somebody asked us where he and his wife uh, should go on a honeymoon i think we said some like sandals resort is on bs so i'm going to revise my answer retroactively i think once i get back from this thing but yeah, yeah you can't all go right. to an all-inclusive no you, I, an we all-inclusive. you know what i think i was more correct maybe i said something like machu picchu or something cooler i don't know yeah. i feel like yeah. i wouldn't say sandals that's not a john again yeah. answer you're not michael scott from the office <laughs> no that's right no i'm not all right um, we want to yeah, thank uh, us anything keep sending those in Please do. We want to thank Teddy for stopping by. Always good talking to him. And uh, we'll be visiting with you next week. Uh, And until then, my friend, have a good week. Yep, you too.